Athlete or podcast? Man, okay. You know, it's funny. Uh, Christopher Fraley. Christopher Fraley is joining us, and so is Siri, apparently. Um, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, so you and I go back, back, back till you, I mean, I don't know that people realize, but you were one of the founding four members of Rhino Wrestling Club back in oh, let's call it four. Uh, oh three going in Look. right. Yeah. End of oh three early. Oh, like the end of the season. Oh four, like February, we really started going. It was me, Tyke, and then Dallas and Scotty. Yeah. Four dudes on a Frankenstein mat. We had that 10 by 10, that little red 10 by 10. And then we started adding to it. What, what people yeah. don't realize, like we had a 10 by, we literally had a 10 by 10. Yeah. Okay. We and then we we would just find like, hey, I heard somebody has a strip of math that they're not using. So we would take like a like a two by two by ten <laughs> and then just tape it. Okay. And now we got a little bit more room. And now we would so we kept on adding to it. And out of that room, prop I don't know, eight, seven, seven national titles. Like right. seven. A lot of national titles came out of that yeah. one room. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy back then. So if Mike, I don't know how much he's talked about it before, but we were actually in like a unfinished like attic of a church. It was totally not up to code or anything, and it was sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was real sketchy because you had like insulation out and like you know, there's screws here and there, and like we just wanted to wrestle. So at first we had tried a little, little. At first time we had tried to go downstairs in like the nursery, and we rolled it out. It was thought it'd be safer, but then we had these two brothers there. I won't say the name, but they started like getting into fist fights and cursing each other out, and at the church. So it's like it wasn't really working out in that space. So we we went back up into the attic until it got too big. But I think at one point we had like fifty guys rolling around, maybe on like a twenty-five by twenty-five area. Like we had we had a lot of we had a lot of guys up there. Yeah, two. Four turned into 12 quickly, and 12 turned into 30-something way quicker than I thought it was going to. Yeah, and so sense. that's kind of just to give you, uh, the people listening, a little backstory. Christopher and I go back to when he was um, just a young wee lad, and now he's doing incredible things through. And this is what, what really kind of sparked my interest, Chris, was – you're taking a very dip. You're getting back into coaching, right? After after a long time away from the sport, you're taking a very unique approach to coaching wrestling. That again, unique is the only way I can put it. But you're using your background in cultural anthropology. Is that correct? Yep, cultural and, anthropology. And so, explain to me. Well, explain to everyone what cultural anthropology is and then how it can apply to wrestling gotcha so it's really confusing when i tell people i'm a cultural anthropologist they're like what the hell is that um i've been studying cultural anthropology since 2015 and last year i finally got to the point where i didn't feel like what the hell is that anymore um it could really be anything cultural anthropology you're studying people it's in my opinion it's the queen of the social sciences because you've got psychology you've got economics you've got sociology um, there's a lot of different disciplines you get to draw from, so it's very eclectic, but you're studying humans, you know, it's anthro, it's, it's humans. 
you're studying humans and specifically their culture and their patterns. Um, so I've gotten back into that back in 2015. Um, you know, I've always been real nerdy, like to read a lot of books, you know, I could read these dense philosophical texts and like, you know, I'm weird like that. And um, so I got into it back then. And I at first I didn't realize kind of the import. And over the years, the more I studied and I, I finished up my thesis and got published back in like 2020. And then I really took off on this research because right around 2020, it was like COVID. And uh, I really dug into it and I realized like, you know, hey, there's a tool set here that I could really figure out anything with. Um, so anthropology at its core is you're studying human beings for a certain purpose and you're using qualitative research methods to find that information. It's just a fancy word for saying I go out and talk with people. I go out and I'm just really good at learning how to ask the right questions and notice the right patterns and behavior to see what they're saying, but they're not saying. Um, so as an anthropologist, the way I view myself when I come in and do work for contract work and uh, or planning sessions and things like that, I, I'm a participant observer. Like in anthropology, you talk about participant observation. Um, it's a research method that's basically just full immersion. Um, and as I've gotten into it, I've applied this to wrestling. You know, I've always stayed connected to the sport throughout the years, and I love it, you know. If my life would have went differently, I probably would have came out and went right into coaching uh, if I wasn't so young and, you know, n not, you know, stupid, you know, <laughs> yeah, <you're> stupid. <laughs> it's like you try all these things you don't really like. And um, so I've always like kind of wrestled with it. And, you know, me like I, I didn't have a great end in my high school career. I flamed out. I started late. I was really good. And I had just a real shitty end at nationals my senior year and I quit. I was just sick of it. I'm like, you know, I'm not cutting weight. I'm not doing this anymore. I train my ass off. I go out there. I can't keep my head straight. You know, I beat good guys all the time, you know, when it didn't really matter. You beat state champs, you beat all Americans. And then you go out and you have this bad experience. Um, so since then, like, you know, I've stayed involved and, you know, with my brother, Tyler, he wrestled through college and, um, you know, I got to train with him and stayed connected to the sport in that sense. And then, I started really applying these methods like last August. Um, my son, he got into wrestling and just loved it. Just absolutely loved it. And like he just poor guy. He jumped it. Huh? Poor guy. He loves it. My daughter loves it more than him. She yeah. and she's probably gonna be better. She's like, she's better than me. I when I don't have partners right now because I'm training, she rules with me and she's she's good. She's gonna be mm -hmm. really good. Um, but anyway, so I really like, I got to reconnect with the sport and obviously my son loved it. And like, I'm a student of the sport, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy that watches technique videos at 12 o'clock, you know, and like watching the reruns of all this stuff. So I've always loved it. And now my kids have kind of given me a reason to like pursue it more. Um, so I started applying these methods really like last August. I got, I was coaching at Nick Catone's MMA there. Um, I teach one of their wrestling classes. They still teach there right now. And I train over there. Um, and I started just playing around, you know, with my coaching style. And I was, I got into reading when I started training guys like uh, this guy, Jigoro Kano, you know, he founded judo and some of the philosophical frameworks and uh, like Hicks and Gracie reading his memoirs and like sourcing these other traditions within wrestling and seeing how they do things differently. Cause I know like he, as an anthropologist, I know cultures do things differently all across the world. And I see something with the American model of wrestling that's just wrong because we produce a lot of high level, like, you know, guys at a young age that flame out. Like, you know, I, I've seen it, you know, myself, I've seen it with my brother, like uh, my brother's 
would have been a world champ. You know, if he didn't, you know, you know, burn out, get sick on cutting weight, like he he finished well in the sport, but he didn't ever reach his peak. And it was for that reason. You know, we came in at the end of that hardcore like weight cutting era where they're still weighing in day before. You know, we were doing day before weigh-ins for northeast regions and stuff, you know, and uh, so you were like at the end of that era where you're getting really burnt out. And um, like I see it, I've always loved the sport and to see that love in my son and what he's what he wants to do. I didn't want him to have that experience. So I started taking these methods, specifically autoethnography. Ethnography is what anthropologists do. It's basically you go out, you do your research methods, you bring all the information back. And I look down, I analyze it. And the ethnography part is I'm, I'm taking the social theory I know and analyzing it so I could actually use it. Um, so it's a lot of nerdy stuff. Um, my, my theoretical like orientation with the anthropology, I like to talk about embodiment and agency. Um, so embodiment basically is how your body learns shit, how you feel it, how you experience things, agencies, how you act on it. And so like I, I've read a lot of literature on that and I'm trying to like bring that and uh, uh, apply it to the pedagogy for for wrestling, like, you know, because I mean, we've talked about this before and you've always been a student in the sport. And I remember it's like we had like an open door policy almost like you would come in, you would roll with us whenever we'd watch technique. And like people don't really do that stuff anymore, you know, and the big clubs. And when you read the, the people that have been most successful and most innovative in the sport, they don't have this like factory model. They're, they're not like, hey, come in. We're going to show you a high C. We're going to drill it 10 times. You wrestle around for 10 minutes and we'll send you home. Um, and you know i um well I'm, hold on let me let me let me stop you there because i have some questions yeah, but, yes, but let's stick with the last thing you just said okay if on a scale of importance on a, uh, one being very little importance 10 being vital okay how important is you say open door policy i say room for creativity right how how important is it to allow room for creativity and is that a is it a sliding scale in terms of like you gotta do it as a, at a young age and you, maybe you don't have to do it or vice versa is how important is leaving that type of room for creativity essential it, it's the foundation of everything so this is where I bring in like my work with youth development and curriculum for like adolescent formation and stuff like you see patterns of how kids develop and then you see the way we're coaching wrestling and there's a disjuncture there. Um, we, we don't allow the creativity like, you know, it's more of um, there's this guy. His name is Paulo Freire. He's a Brazilian educator and he turned this thing called the banking model of education, which is basically, hey, I'm an expert. You don't know it. I'm going to tell you and you just memorize what I say bad that's that's a bad model of education that's bad you know a good model of education what he called critical pedagogy was teaching people how to teach themselves teaching them how to reflect and he had a, a portuguese word that's like i think it translates like conscientiation or something like that but like the process of becoming aware so that they can make their own decisions so mm -hmm. i'd study fairy and like when i was getting back into i'm reading hicks and gracie you know from the gracie family and freaking unreal and I'm reading their memoirs and like the way he trains and he's talking about surfing and doing all this other stuff and I'm like you know 
I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, like when, when I started doing this stuff in my life, I, I became happier. I became better. Like, you know, back around 2020, I kind of started reinventing myself. Like I had my third kid in late 2019, uh, just stress was out the wazoo. And I started like, you know, pouring into like wellness research and things as well. Um, so what I've tried to do with this program is you bring it in and you give kids tools. And it's not just the wrestling. You, you allow the creativity, but you're, it's a lifestyle coaching. We're trying to do like, this is a way of life. Like wrestling can be a way of life. That doesn't mean everybody has to make their money wrestling, but wrestling is a way of life. It's a philosophy about how you go about the world. And you give kids building blocks, you give students building blocks, but you allow them to create. Um, so the way I run my practices is a lot of play-based. Um, and I got this from reading Hicks and Gracie's stuff. And he's talking about when they were little, there was no technique. They were rolling with their kids and they just rolled and they rolled. So what I do is I set up games. Um, you know, the way I run my practice structure, I've been doing, I'll start with a hand fight. Then we'll go from a hand fight to an attack, hand fight, attack to counter, hand fight, attack to counter, re-attack, you know, down the line. So what I do is we come in and we actually, we kind of play wrestle. We set up a game. So the first thing is the hand fight, I'll show an entry. And like yesterday, our game was, okay, we're, we're doing snaps. We're just trying to get behind the back. That's all we do. I show them a basic, you know, hey, we're going to push the head down, block the arm. We're coming. We're just trying to do a basic go behind and you set up the game. So they're doing it and they're getting the technique and they're exposed to it. But as they actually get to try it, you can jump in and you can correct them in real time. And I got this from you. You you were the best at that. When we would wrestle, you would wrestle with me and you would stop me in the moment. You would mm -hmm. stop me in the moment when I was hitting something wrong and I couldn't finish. You wouldn't grind my face into the mat and make me feel like an asshole for like doing the wrong thing. You would sit there and you would make me figure out the position and you would talk me through it. That's what I'm doing with these kids. I roll with them actively every practice. We, we were keeping it intentionally small to allow the room for that creativity and allow that kind of like, you know, open door, you know, like, hey, this is like, we're a group. We're coming. We love to do this. We're going to do this way of life together and we're going to help each other do it. And mm -hmm. um, what we're doing is a little different. It's um, you, we set up, I, I set up my house. Um, so I put about 400 square feet of mat space on my deck. It's, it's roofed. Uh, we come out and we roll. We have a few families that are going right now. We come, we eat a meal um, and we wrestle together. I get some of the dads involved and we coach and it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one instruction, but with this play-based model, um, it's working. I mean, I, I don't let my kid really compete. You know, he competed once this year and he tech penned his way through the tournament. He would have pinned everybody in about 10 seconds, but he just, you, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 it's... Brother kids either. I'm like, you go out there and pin somebody in 10 seconds, you're just going to quit and you don't get to yeah. work. Right. And, um, yeah, but like, it's working and I see it. My son loves it. He wants to wrestle. They asked me to roll out the mats, um, you know, and uh, we, I just kind of keep that openness. So when we run our practices, it's not real formal. I'll run through about a 45 minute structure playing those games with like a, a mat simulation at the end. And a lot of times I make it not about win or lose. Like I always stack it one way or the other. So one guy's always behind one guy's ahead and you switch vice versa. You're playing games. So it's not so much if they lose the game, they're like, Oh man, this guy's so much better than me. Well, you lost the game. You didn't catch back up and beat him, but he had a lead already. You know, you're, you're mm -hmm. drilling the situation. You're drilling the stresses. Um, 
And I, I'm drawing on this concept from jujitsu. Like, you know, there's a book I came across, it's called Transforming Trauma with Jiu-Jitsu. And there's a couple therapists that got around and they started studying the art of jujitsu and they're like, hey man, you know, when somebody's choking the life out of you, it's pretty stressful. And they're like, but if you learn how to do that and keep yourself calm, like your body's gonna stay calm in stressful situations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I read this and I'm thinking, hey, we could do the same thing in wrestling. We create stressful situations that are going to create this heightened sense where the, they're being flooded with all these different endorphins and everything and, and being forced to bring their body down to a place where they can make a calm, cool decision. Um, we've talked about this. I think wrestling is an embodied sport. There, there is a natural map to it, but I believe there's an art that can be studied and learned. Sure. And, um, you know... I, what I'm trying to do with the kids that we're working with is we create these games, we create these high pressure scenarios that occur a lot. Like a thing we drill a lot is like, you know, head down, you know, it's like you, everybody gets stuck on a sweep with your head down. We drill the danger positions. And I take this as a guy I was listening to when I started training jujitsu. And he talked about this approach to learning jujitsu, train the bad positions. And the Gracie said this, and I'm like, well, why don't we just do this in wrestling? We, we, we do this all the time with, you know, shooting high crosses, but really high crosses aren't that complicated to shoot. But what is complicated is getting a guy like off your back when your face is getting ground into the mat. Mm -hmm. And I I think our approach is though, we we focus on the wrong games in the sport. Um, We we focus on things like you see it at the highest level. What's what's the most common takedowns to go go behind? You know, Mm -hmm. you're not not doing like for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most times it's go behind. You know, Mm -hmm. it's simple, simple takedowns. And I think mm-hmm. we invest a lot of time. Um, I love technique. I love playing with the sport. But I think we overwhelm kids at an early age because we throw out all this technique mm-hmm. and they're not ready for it. You know, they yeah. just need to wrestle. They just I'm need to you right now, it's, you know? it's like, <clears throat> first of all, Joel, go ahead. I, I'll, I'll come back to what I was about to say. Uh, you talked about, excuse me, um, you know, creating stressful situations and helping the kids kind of calm their mind in these environments. What are some methods that you you approach to kind of put them in these situations and get them kind of thinking comfortably, um, you know, in a stressful situation? Gotcha. So one game I set up, we play a lot. That's really cool. So uh, the coach is normally in the middle. It's kind of like, you know, they're trying to run past me. I stay in a stance, they're in a stance. We have to face each other. You can't run. You have to stay in stance. Their job is to get past me. My job is to get them. If I grab them, I immediately take the back. I throw hooks in. I get my boots, and I'm under the arms, and I'm wrapping them up tight. The stressful situation, I let them know they're locked, and I'll talk to them like, all right, now we got to go to work. Where are my hands? You know, they talk. My, my daughter will do it great. You know, I don't even have to tell her now. I lock her up, and she goes... Where's his hands? You know, she'll start peeling them. And then where's the feet? And I make them work out. My son hates it because he's like me. He has that anxious temperament, like, you know, and you get confined. Who wants to be confined? It sucks. Mm-hmm. But you get better at it. It's it's and and mental health, you know, practitioners have been doing this for a long time. It's called exposure therapy. You know, you expose yourselves to the things that are going to cause you stress because over time your body becomes used to it. And you're going to be able to perform at a high level, even in those most stressful situations, because you trained your body through your breath work and 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 through your disciplines to and just decision making process becomes yeah. becomes far more uh, relaxed. Yeah. Well, what happens is a lot of times it's like you know I got really into evolutionary psychology, right? Evolutionary psychology tells us as hey, you do, you know. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, she knows some stuff. But basically, the, the idea of evolutionary psychology, our brains have evolved and adapted over time, you know, to meet certain needs. But modern brains are kind of stuck in the Stone Age because we still have this part of our brain that sends out that fight or flight. And so we get triggered and get anxious over silly stuff because evolutionarily we had like saber tiger tigers chasing us down and that fight or flight was really helpful. But nowadays you get kids get anxious because their Cheerio, you know, fell in the milk before and they wanted it separate, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, so we, we have this prime system that's ready to like jump. And I think I see it with kids a lot, you know, they're so hyped, they're so hyped, but they don't know how to calm it. They don't know how to control it. Their body's juice because, you know, we're built that way. We're built for our bodies to kick in the gear, to go into that fight mode and to do what we need to do. But when you don't know how to control it, you just make mistakes. You just open yourself up. When you wrestle angry, you almost always lose, you know? Yeah. At, at least for me, every yeah. time I've ever wrestled angry or upset, I've lost. Yeah. I've never won a match. At a high level, right? I, I mean, like I'm sure, I'm sure that there are exceptions when you're wrestling a bum, but it doesn't really matter. No, right. no, I'm That's talking the, about like wrestling real guys. Like I've yeah. never beat a legitimate competitor if I started to crack during the match. Yeah. And that's it. It's it's a mental piece. And um, you know the Zanettis from back in the day with Eugene. I listen to their podcasts and stuff, and they're that's what they're doing with this. They're just taking basic sports psychology and positive psychology and applying it to our sport. And then you know, they're God forbid. They're, yeah, no, okay. there's a science to it, and we help guys to realize, I think, you know. Wrestling's come a long way, but at least my perception in America, we still have this idea a lot of times that, like, the wrestler's supposed to be, you know, the badass guy, the tough mm-hmm. guy, you know, you grind your face into the mat kind of guy. And, like, that's not bad, but if that's all we see ourselves as, we're limiting ourselves as the discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see this going into jujitsu, like, the way they approach stuff, they set a lot of traps and there's a the real playfulness to the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my primary discipline and never will be because I don't like that style, but I see the effectiveness and how you can use that to tamper the over aggressiveness of wrestling a lot of times. Sure. Um, that makes sense. You know, All right. So, so let me, let me get, let me, let me start firing some, some interesting questions at you. When you say you like, so as a cultural anthropologist, you go out into the field and you, ask questions with a specific let's call it goal in mind what questions are you asking young athletes to get a sense uh, of where you want them to be on a wrestling mat and what questions are you asking parents okay and and let's go with the the athlete first but but also i, I do want to talk about the parents Okay, so you want me to go athlete first? Yes, please. So the main thing is you're just spending time. Like the thing is not to overcomplicate it. Um, I, I do work, you know, I'm working with people to like teach the basic methods and stuff like that, you know, for like a, a guided experience. But a lot of it, once you learn the method, you're, you're teaching yourself, you know, mm-hmm. it's straightforward and you're applying it. Um, but I'm asking just, you're, you're talking to people normal, you know, and making, making space to get kids away. And uh, a thing I like to do is try to like, keep kids and parents separate a little bit because mm-hmm. um, i mean you've coached a long time you got the parent yeah he needs to do xyz you know if only he would do this but he's an asshole and like you know all this stuff and you got parents and like i just need a little space with the kid you know mm-hmm. so last night i took the one kid aside and you're talking to him he's getting into it and you get him away from mom and dad and now you have a chance to hear like what he wants out of the sport not what they mm-hmm. want and what they think he needs 
but just being intentional about creating this, this space to speak to students. And it's not even about asking the right question all the time, but allowing them the space to, to tell you stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you just create an opening for them to tell you stuff, then you know what questions to ask. Right. But so how, okay, maybe that was that's a better way to 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 quantify it. How do you create that space? Is it just simply se setting them aside from their parents, or is it like, hey, how are you feeling today? What do you, like? How do you go about it? So, all right, there's there's many different things. So in the like the one on one mentoring part, like I take some of the stuff I've studied from like youth formation stuff over the years, and I, I build that into my own kind of approach, and that's hard to break down. And um, but the main thing is creating space and being intentional, like. The way we set it up, the practice isn't grinding the whole time. We're here two hours. We eat a meal together. We wrestle. Then there's like a free play time at the end. If they want to wrestle, they wrestle. They do whatever. The kid last night he comes with me. I'm watering my grass. I take him out. I'm like, hey, come on. I got a job for you. You know, he comes out, and we're just sitting, talking, watering the grass. But then he's able to tell me now. I got him away from his parents. He's away from the other kids. There's nobody here. And he's able to talk to me. And then I start to get an idea of why he's here, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I know what to ask him. Um, you know, his was funny. He's getting bullied in school. You know, he's like, I want to be able to hurt people. I'm like, well, we'll try to pamper that a little bit. You know, I like the spirit of that, um, you know, but then you give you space to see what's bringing him, what's driving him. So you know how to redirect their mindset, too, because when we don't give a kids are really smart. Like, you know, I, I did youth work for years and like we, we treat kids like they're stupid and like we delay them, you know, like and treat them like children till they're like, you know, in their 30s. Like kids are freaking smart. You know, if you give them a space to talk, a kid will teach you a lot of things, you know. And um, but again, and my wife helped me with this. My wife is really good at organizing space like to to build community. Um, and there's some like, you know, weird anthropologist, like nerdy stuff I read about like community organizing and things like that. So we're bringing principles in from like community organizing and just like how you set up a physical space to increase like this cohesiveness and allow a level of comfortability to where you can get to a deeper level with a family. Um, the model, like the consumer model doesn't work, like coming up to a club and hey, drop your kid off, come back in an hour, you know, pay your bill and we're good to go. We're trying to get out of that like consumer-based model. I'm like, no, we want you here. We're, we're friends. We're, you're not just, you know, somebody we're making money off of. Like, you're our friend. We love you. Like, we want to do life together. We want to work together. And like, you know, let's let's get at this. And so, so how does that apply to the parents then? Like, how do you, we do how plan do you talk to parents about? So, so this is what we offer that's unique. And what really comes from the work I've done with people with disabilities is doing person-centered planning. Um, so part of our, our package, like, you know, kids, when they sign up with their tuition, they get a 30-minute planning session once a month. I sit down with them, mom and dad. Throughout the month, I've wrestled with the kid. I, I've taught the class. You know, I've seen them wrestle other kids. I take my notes. I'm being a good anthropologist. I just have a pocket notebook, and I'm taking notes on every practice right afterward, and I have my kids do it. Not just my, my my kids, the kids I'm training. Um, it's a basic anthropological tool. You see, it's called taking field notes. And so we stop with the kids and we cause them to reflect after every practice. First, we start and be like, hey, how's your week going? You know, you know, what went well, what didn't? Like, you know, what do you want to work on today? You know, boom, we set it up. We do our dynamic stretch, go through it. At the end, we bring out the pocket notebooks. They always write down what worked, what didn't work what they want to work on. 
So they're keeping a running log where you know, I'm basically teaching the kids how to be many anthropologists, like, you know, just just simple stuff that that's note taking, but it's building more neural connections in their brain. It's it's basic neuroscience. It, it sounds like pie in the sky type stuff, but like there's PhDs that are you know studying the brain and neuroscience and these different disciplines that will back it up all day long. You know, so we 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 build this into the the approach and the structure because it's not just the on the mat learning. And I think a lot of times why we have burnout and wrestling is because we we approach it as something that's isolated from the rest of life when wrestling really should be something that informs the way we do the rest of our lives, mm -hmm. not vice versa. You know, it, I do believe it's a lifestyle. I believe it's a, a that you know. It's like a value set, I mean, it could be a value set. I don't know, but it's it's like a worldview almost. You know, sure. it's the way you're approaching. Oh, there's the world. no question. You yeah, have your philosophic foundation for the way you're looking at the world, and it's causing you to live a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I live the way I do now because I'm training wrestling, and it, that's mm -hmm. the fact of the matter. It is a way of life. I've started mm -hmm. all this stuff with like you know the the nature stuff I do, and like all these different pieces I work into it. Um, it's a lifestyle, you know, teaching kids that wellness component. And so it's going beyond, but you're teaching them the reflective process, but you're giving them other tools. Like, you know, once a month we do a, an outing where we take a ruck through either a layer state park, which is local here or at the beach, you know, a uh, ruck is like a, it's a primal movement. It's one of the most foundational human patterns. You give a kid a backpack, throw a little weight in it, just start walking, get them outside. I don't want the kids sitting in front of the screen all day playing video games. Like teach the kids where they need to be in life to feed their body the right way, you know. And I, it's, it's so it's that other component of taking these wellness practices and the science and educating the parents. So there's a monthly curriculum component for the parents, and it's nothing like they're not studying a PhD, like you know, and going through book after book. It's the stuff I've researched and I put together and break it down. But where where parents are given tools to focus on breathing techniques, you know, other wellness techniques, you know, food patterns, um, things that they can apply for their own holistic lifestyle development, not not just for their kids, stuff that's going to make them a healthier family unit. Um, and that's kind of the stuff that I'm really passionate about because I think wrestling is great. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to teach everybody that, hey, the goal of wrestling is to be a champ, you're going to get a lot of like, you know, bitter ex-wrestlers that try to, you know, they show up in high school wrestling rooms to beat up on kids all the time, you know, and that's what happens. Um, that has happened. That no, is yeah, 100%. All the, time, all the time. You got that, you know, he's the, the warrior that never kind of lived up to what they want to do. And then they come in, they beat up on high schoolers and say they're helping give back, you know. And um, God, but, it's so it's so common. It's so we, common in our sport. And we create that situation, though, because we don't tell people like when, when we're only focused on the success, we set them up for failure. So what I do in these planning sessions, we 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 focus on positions bite-sized goals. I don't want you to tell me my goal is to win, you know, the New Jersey state championships this year. Like, man, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure right off the bat because A, you've not set any steps up to get there. So if you don't achieve that one goal and you've not set any other goal, you look at the end of the year like I did. And like at the end of my senior year, like I suck, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what you're telling these kids when you don't teach them how to set goals appropriately. So we work on positions and, and through this reflective process, I'm taking notes on the kids. The kids are taking notes on what they're working on. And we say, okay, I've noticed this this month. You know, you know, Tyler's getting in on a sweep on you. Every time he gets in, he's able to finish because you're out of placement. You know, let's work on this position next month. 
say the kid goes out and competes and so kid gets in deep on a sweep but this time he gets an ankle wither he gets the hip back he's able to cut around he gets a takedown but then he gets pinned well mm. he got pinned he lost the match but he just won the position he won it and so the kid comes off the mat instead of oh, oh man i just got pinned again i'm no good i just want to i just want to stop you know because that happens mm. all the time kids mm-hmm. they quit yeah. all the time because of stuff like that but no, when you break it off, and so let, let's work on winning positions. Let's just work on getting better. The competition doesn't matter right now. Um, I am like fiercely opposed to kind of like youth competition. Um, not like I'm not like a purist, but my kid wrestled once one one tournament this year, and like I think we overcompete our kids, and it's you don't give. Well, what's the what's the drawback, right? So 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 if I'm just I. I I'm just going to play devil's advocate. If you can do it in a healthy manner, which is difficult, but if you can, because at the end of the day, we we are sending our kids out there half naked in front of all their friends, and <laughs> and, and, and because let's call it what it is, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's a hard a, situation, man. It's a really so. But if you can, if the kid is enjoying the process of competing, like if they're they're, it depends they're on like, the kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there 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 is a. There is a science. So it's you can't yeah. be a purist. There's not a hard and fast. There are kids that are going to want to compete more and they're naturally they have the mental component where they're there. But more often than not, you're going to find kids that they don't because nowadays uh-huh. kids aren't kids aren't confident nowadays. And psychologists talk about this, like this generation of like helicopter parenting and not allowing kids to make decisions. You'd see more anxiety in kids now than ever in human history. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because we're creating kids that aren't confident. We don't teach them how to teach themselves or allow them to make their own decisions or work towards their goals. So what, what we're trying to do with, with the wrestling school here is to create this space where, where kids can empower themselves, where I, I don't want to brainwash anybody. I want to teach people the skill set that they'll need to be able to navigate life, you know? And I think the problem in any any avenue of life is when you think you have to brainwash somebody, you've missed the point. Um, that misses the point of like, you know, that that coach-student dynamic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I encourage the creativity, like with my son, he, he don't like to listen to me, but then he goes out, he's got a nasty little, he hits this little judo foot sweep, and I hate when he does it because he's coming up to head, but he hits it on everybody. And so it's like, you got to give kids, you know, like their room to do it. And I'm like, it drives me crazy because I'm like, man, you're going to get planted sometime. And he does every now and then, but he's, he don't care, you know? And that's, you got to allow kids to do that though. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I remember like, you know, not with you, but with high school coach, they're always trying to tell you not to do certain things, but, but why? Like if a kid's having success with something, help them develop it. You know, they're I might not fun. forget yeah. about, forget about success. Yeah. If they're what having fun, fun my son comes up with a smile. He does it. He loves it. And there's one training partner. The kid's good too. He's got a nasty little sag headlock and he loves ripping his head off. You know, <laughs> and, he, and he sees it as soon as, as soon as the kid tucks his head, he goes in, and my son waits for it and he times it. He's like Tyler. Remember Tyler's little fag oh, headlock? Yeah, great, great headlock. I, yeah, yeah well, he, headlock uh, and a, he won. He won four national titles one year just with uh, I, headlock and a gut. I just grin sometimes watching my son wrestle because I'm like, you know, he he likes that same kind of stuff, and it's funny because yeah. it's just like natural for him. But um, mm. all right, go ahead, Joel. Man, I have so many questions here, but I, I think it kind of just brings an interesting kind of dynamic there of developing kids and 
you know, when you see something like that, that's a little bit out of the ordinary that, uh, you know, I, I talk about it with my friend who I, I coach with. It's sometimes you have kids that are just cowboys and yeah. like, do you try and rein them in and focus on like being more fundamental or, you know, does it make more sense to lean into like, Hey, let them be a cowboy, like teach them, yeah. teach them how to, how to, uh, you know, throw their hat in the ring and, and let the chips fall where they may. And so I, I, I may have said that a little more harshly than I intended. So I do intend to compete, but like my competition schedule ideally would be like, you know, for youth wrestling, maybe a tune-up and then like your state qualifier, state tournament for the season, maybe wrestling three times, you know, and something like that for like your freestyle season, same thing, like a tune-up, your state, your regional, nationals. Um, competition is good. It's going to keep you sharp, but not like – you know, like when kids, you get five-year-olds going to a tournament every weekend. How can that be good for them? You know, it's just who wants to sit in a gym for that many hours every Saturday with people screaming. And um, I, uh, it's good. They need the exposure, but there's that balance, you know. And it's sort of the thing what I'm trying to approach, and I can go almost too far the other way. Um, but I, I just feel like you see Russia, they, they do it different. They don't compete the same way we do. And then you look at the world, what do you get? Seven, eight Russians ranked at every weight with like another four wrestling for other countries, you know? Mm -hmm. they, they train different than we do, and there's something in the water, you know? It's like they they don't compete their kids the same way, you know? Yeah. And um But but I think I think Joel what 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 he meant more of is like the, the technical aspect of it, right? If you see that kid going going sag headlock, oh do you do you full like like there has to be some component of hey you you, you do need to learn how to down block too right like yeah. like there has to be a certain component of like basic you were talking more about the competition yeah i mean i think you gauge it based on what success they're having too and i have to stop my son so and if he hits it bad i won't let him hit i'll, I'll dust him on it you know and yeah. it's just because i'll let you hit it a few times but if then if you if you mess up then i'm gonna stop letting you hit it um, and so I don't care if kids want to do unorthodox things, but you got to know the ways out too. So then you drill the chain. It's the same thing. You know, we, we drilled this when you coached us years ago, we would work the chains and like, you know, you work the series, what comes after. And, um, I do that a lot with the guys, like we'll work a Russian and we'll seven finishes off of it. They, they'll drill it on their own. I'll tell them to start drilling now and they know to run their series, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to place them in the position. So if I know my son likes that position, I, I work the, the, the opportunities there. Um, he's good with the Russian too. I love the Russian. It's my, mm -hmm. my, my strongest tie, probably a Russian to an over is still my, my strongest tie. And I noticed my son likes it. So I'll stop. And that's why I focus with him. I'll show him seven or eight things. I'm like, focus on this. Learn how to hand fight. Get into your position. And now you know. Um, there's a limited amount of things that you can do on a wrestling map. Like, there's not an infinite amount of things. And there's there's not always a new situation. The situations are reoccurring. You know, they happen mm. maybe slightly differently each time. But if you teach kids the positions and the the possible outcomes in those positions rather than the technique itself, I think that's the heart of the the approach. I'm that's the heart of my approach. That that's what I see to be most effective, is teaching them how to navigate the position and showing the other attacks and defenses that come in that position rather than let's just hey let's just work on finishing this high crotch, you know. Mm. And, um, what else you got for us there, Joel? Anything? Because I can yeah. go too. Yeah. So you, you, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, you, you really kind of focus on providing frameworks to solve problems as opposed to giving answers. How do you take 
you know, a new kid who's joining your club who may be looking for all the answers and, and kind of like turning that to, you know, help them to find the answers on their own. Yeah. Yeah. It's through some of the drills through the empowerment stuff. Like even so going back to the game we talked about before, at the end of the day, it's not only something to help them calm their body, but it's a confidence boost. I see it with my son already. I've been doing it with him a few weeks and he gets in the first day. He's panicked, he's screaming. He's his breathing's real shallow and he can't figure it out. A couple weeks in now, he's got himself calmed down, but he's getting more confident. Like, you know, he, he's learning. And when kids do stuff, it's just simple as positive affirmation. Like the power of our words, um, you go into any high school wrestling and you'll see there's still that old school mentality of like, hey, let's cut a guy down, you know, to the floor and then expect him to go be a state champ. Um, not everybody, but you see it a lot. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're just combating that. We're not, hey, no, this this negative this negative approach doesn't really work for most kids. So it's a lot of focus. I'd say 80%. It's got to be yeah. close to 80%. If because, not more. If not but, more. Well, here's yeah. the thing about it, though. The, 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 the biggest, the, the, and this drives me freaking crazy, is that they hold up the 20% and go, see, it works. No, it yeah, doesn't, it dude. Does. We could have so much doesn't. more. No. no. And, it's like, and it's like, I don't know. I To me, you know, it's like you the proof's in the pudding you see the programs that come with that grind it out like you know like mentality they're just and the guys that are like that playful real student type mentality the playful student approach is always the better approach you know without naming programs you see it at the collegiate level the ones that have that approach to sport they're the best you know you know they are and it's just I think it's time for the sport as a whole to kind of evolve and start moving away and not lose wrestling's character, like that that inherent toughness and that grit. Like, that's good. We want that. We want that attack mindset. But to also realize it's more than just going out there and banging heads with somebody. Like, this is a science. This is like... This is like you're teaching your body to do incredible things out there on this mat. And just the placement of a few inches makes all the difference in the world. Like, it's a sure. science, you know? Sure. It's an embodied yeah. science. Um, what if they lie to you? What's that? What if they lie to you? Right? What? You used to you used to lie to me constantly. What like, did I, I lie knew, you about, huh? Mostly your weight. Um, oh my god, my weight. Yeah, I always lie to you about my weight. <laughs> you want like I, I would love I would ask Christopher what's your weight like? He's like, right now? No, <laughs> seven seven days from now, what's your weight like? Yeah. So 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 yeah, like I guess I guess my question is like First of all, the, the kids think they're lying to you, but they're not because you can generally tell. Yeah. But what if you feel like they're not being truthful? Like, like what if you feel like they're they're just holding back? I, you know, I say lie, but if that's a probably a stronger well, no. word. But maybe if they're not being one hundred percent truthful with you. This is the thing, and this is why we we focus so much on the community component because you're never going to get inside a kid's mind when they don't trust you. You know, mm -hmm. if, if they don't trust you like a friend or a family, I don't care who the hell you are. You're not getting inside that kid's head. You're not, mm -hmm. you know, so we, we structure our environment. This is why instead of going out and, and renting a space, I set up mat space at my house and mm -hmm. we have an island and we set up like buffet style. And we eat like this to encourage an environment where kids are going to feel comfortable. We're, we're creating a safe space. You know, we want this to be a space where kids they look forward to come to that they know they have like, you know, their parents, their, their friends, they, people that are supporting them in life. Um, so they can share, they can share those hopes and dreams. 
But part of this planning process we do with the planning sessions, and I bring this in from the person-centered work I've done with people in disability communities, um, where you have a yearly planning session. So somebody signs up for an annual contract, they have a yearly planning meeting. Um, and the work I've done in the disability community, we use these tools called PATH and MAPS. Um, just a, it's a person-centered planning tool with some graphic illustration, but it's basically just a communal event where you help people plan like what they want to do and you sign people up. To so someone with a disability would have a, a planning session that included close friends, family everyone. members, care, caregivers, everyone. They're awesome. So I this when I got into the work that I was doing, we used to be able to do a lot of that, and I loved it. You know, because you could resource people, and they're beautiful when they work. Because you get people band together, and they they rally around, and they help people achieve their goals. And we move people out of institutions and into homes, and getting their own apartments, and getting their first jobs. We're taking the same thing. We're like, hey, we're doing this for people in disability communities. We can do this with the kids we work with. This is the same planning method. These are the same principles. This is just teaching people how to connect together. This is just bringing and creating a community that's going to create the accountability. Because at the end of the day, if I look at myself as the guru and I drop dead tomorrow, the kids I'm working with are screwed. You know, <laughs> they are, right? right? I never so, thought of it like that. <laughs> yeah, they're screwed. So if, yeah. if all their hope is in me as the guru, I'm the guy, I'm the guy you got to come to, Chris, you know, we got to talk to Chris. He's the guy. He's going to get it done for us. They're screwed in life yeah. if they think that I'm the guy because they're never going to have that confidence. Wow. So what I'm trying to do is through these planning processes and through this intentional mentorship component is to create confident kids that if I drop dead tomorrow, it's going to suck for my biological children. They're going to grieve me. It's going to be hard, but they're going to have a skill set and a tool set to be resilient in life. And that's what we're trying to do and create a community. Um, whereas they're not just connected to me, they're going to be connected here in our house because we got 25, 30 people eating meals together. Like they, they were creating almost like a family structure. And this is even how we've named our school. We, we named it the Phoenix Tribe Wrestling School. And Tribe just to really focus on this, this group component, this, this way of coming together and like, hey, we're, we're, we're going to do this way of life together and we're going to keep each other accountable and we're going to work towards our goals and make sure we get them. Um, and the parents are, are are on board and the and the the moms are I shouldn't say that the moms and the dads are on board because that's like that's not always going to be an easy sell to every parent. Yeah. No, you got to sell people. So no, they aren't on board. And this is why I'm not going to have 2000 kids. You know, it's like because people don't want to do a lot of times what it takes to really like it's a big commitment. You know, it's it is. And people a lot of times they don't want to get out of the comfort zone. And it's hard. We're all we all you know, if you have kids, you're in the rat race. You're running around all the time. Sure. Um. And it's hard to commit to things. So what we're trying to do is just make it easier for parents who don't have the resources themselves to do these types of planning things and do it with them, with their children. So they learn how to do the planning methods. They learn the tools. But we're providing that as an additional service in our membership packages because kids need it. And yeah. I, realistically, I got three kids. I don't have somebody to do that with me. Like I'm up till like you know, 12, one in the morning, every, every day working. And I wake up and you start working, you know, it's like, it's, that's life. You know, it's, you got three kids and you're, you're, you're grinding. And so I get it. So what we're trying to do is alleviate that for parents. Um, it's not like, it's just a problem of education. We don't have access to all the right resources. And if we could help parents who don't have the capacity to, to access those resources on their own or kids that don't have the skill set to access those on their own, that's what we want to do. 
we want to put access to those resources so people can kind of find what works for them because not all practices are going to work for everybody equally and they can find those things that are going to ground them in life those things that are going to help them move through and like goal setting and person-centered planning that's not a wrestling thing this is going to make you successful as a human being like right. you're going to be able to do that for the rest of your life these these things i'm teaching the kids you do this the rest of your life and you're going to be successful in anything you do you know you, you will be you know so it's um and that's what we're trying to do it's it's more we want good human beings I, we're going to make good wrestlers the good wrestlers will come because when you allow room for creativity and play and you set it up that way the wrestling is going to take care of itself but we want good human beings you know we, yeah, we want we want good human beings. yeah we need to focus more on that as a, as a culture in, in this yeah. sport 100 all right we have to get moving here um Christopher, thank you very much um, for, I, I mean, I, I don't think I've learned more in a 50-minute podcast in my life. So that was incredible. Thank you, number one. But secondly, how, how do people, like, so you and I are going to talk about athlete or offline, but as of right now, how can people get a hold of you if they hear this and they want to start at least moving in the direction of using some of the, the stuff that you're doing? Sure, sure. So they can get, I got my professional site that, that should be up today. Um, it's just my full name, Christopher D. Fraley. Um, so on that site, there'll be access to the Phoenix Tribe Wrestling School. It's, it's its own tab. And then another tab with more of the professional work I do with like user research and program evaluation and, and the way I apply some of those qualitative skills professionally. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it'll be on that site. You know, I, I talked to the guy last night. It looked good this morning. And so, but Christopher D. Fraley, and um so they can yeah christopher free christopher d that's it okay. awesome and man so, um, well, thank you thank you very much for for coming on and and sharing some some incredible stuff joel we didn't i didn't get to like a third of my questions okay more questions so but but we, we think we do got a roll here because we got another one coming up at 10. Yeah, um, I got it. we'd love to to have you back if that's okay yeah, yeah, whenever. Just let me know. Okay. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. I'll see you guys. Thanks for, Later, thanks for talking. Yeah, bud. Later.